Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you from Chateau LaPanta. It's the first time I've been here in a long time, but Phil and Stanley still somehow remembered me. Uh, May 8th is our next live show, May 8th at Tuttle's, and we haven't been there in a while, Anthony. Um, we're going to have an 8.50 p.m. start for that podcast. and uh, <laughs> Just to pretend like we're yeah, in the playoffs? Yeah. To be, to be fair. A, it's a Central yeah. Division podcast. Yeah. To be fair, I stole that joke from uh, somebody on Twitter. Actually, let me give that person credit because it made me laugh. Uh, Cody Hansen, that was all you. 8.50 p.m. start. No, 7 p.m. Uh, May 8th at Tuttle's. We haven't been out to the West Metro in a while, so hopefully everybody uh, remembers us and comes on out to Tuttle's. Um, last time we talked to Anthony, I said that this felt like deja vu because the Wild were up 2-1 in the series, and we came back for um, game, uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, four? Yeah, it was game four. I was going to make the joke to you that Wild on Ice, the horse uh, th that day broke its leg. And Is that right? Was that the day we did was it? The was day. the morning of game four? Yeah. Uh, so that was the, the Wild on Ice uh, broke its leg on the morning of game four and was euthanized at Churchill Downs. And I'm like, that cannot be a good omen. And uh, like Deja Vu, as I mentioned, it just felt like the Wild uh, took their foot off the gas. Um, and like last season, Anthony uh, dropped three straight games to bow out um, of the playoffs for the umpteenth time since 2015. <laughs> yeah, well, and to be clear, to be fair, I, I don't think this was the same as a year ago. Last year, they had St. Louis on the ropes. St. Louis was beat up. They were up 2-1. The Blues were down a bunch of defensemen in game four. And I thought the Wild, I don't want to say took their foot off the gas, but they for sure they loosened up their game. They weren't as airtight. They were... I think they went into that game thinking we might score six tonight because they're missing defensemen and it cost them. They lost the game and it swung the series. This time, I think it was different because I actually think in game four, Minnesota played a great game. And if you remember, game four was the game where the two egregious penalty calls against Marcus Foligno happened, both of which lead to Tyler Sagan power play goals in a 3-2 Dallas win. And it was one example of some of the breaks that seemed to go Dallas's way in this series, those were probably the two worst among several bad calls in that playoff series. And that swung the series in Dallas's favor, because then I thought in game five and six, Dallas was clearly the better team and deserved to win the series. And I don't think it was Minnesota taking their foot off the gas. I think it was just whatever could go wrong seemed to go wrong for Minnesota. Then you start game five with Felino getting the major penalty, the game misconduct on the kneeing penalty, the net that, and, and now you're down a key guy again. And it was, it just had a, here we go again, kind of feel to it. And I think it just got away from him. And I am mistaken. We actually, our last podcast was the morning of game yeah. six, which is why I said that it was deja vu that day. Um, let's, let's go through a lot of the things that, uh, happen at the end of the year pressers and, and all that stuff. Uh, starting with the players, we talked to him on Monday. Um, let's start with Matt Boldy. I wrote a big story on him that'll come out in the athletic on Thursday. Uh, so this podcast will be out a little after and hopefully everybody reads that, but, uh, abundantly clear that Bill Guerin had some, uh, very candid, um, honest, tough love for him in his, uh, exit meeting. And, uh, knowing Matt, I would think that he probably took, handled it maturely and probably felt the same way. Um, you know, it, like when we talked to Matt, it was right after his exit meeting with Billy and he looked shell-shocked. I mean, first question, he looked like he was about to cry. Um, and basically what Bill told him is that you're too cute, man. Like you get to the net, get your nose dirty, look at your face. Doesn't even have a blemish on it. Like let's get going here. Um, you're, you're too perimeter. And what really summed up his playoffs as a whole 
was that Max Domi empty net goal where he just twirls around at center ice and he does a little backhand and it's batted down and for a goal rather than just get the puck deep and go into work. And he is going to have to realize that what you can get away with in the regular season is stuff that you cannot get away with in the playoffs. Um, and maybe this scar tissue that he experienced uh, for a second playoff in a row uh, will help him going into next season. Yeah, and I thought last year was a little different situation just because he'd only had a half a season in the NHL. And he's a rookie. He's a rookie. Yeah. This year, I expected him to have a big playoff. I really thought it was going to be similar to what Kaprizov had done the year before after he had been shut down by Vegas. His rookie year had the big playoff series against St. Louis where he looked like he was ready for the big stage. And I thought Boldy was, especially with how he finished the season basically carrying the Wild in Kaprizov's absence. 15 goals in the month of March after he had had zero in February. He looked like a guy that had... There's still more corners to turn, but he looked like he had turned the corner and become a legit NHL scorer. I really thought he was poised to have a big series. I think the other thing you do have to keep in the back of your mind is Erickson Eck was his centerman throughout that run at the end of the year. He was not there in the playoffs, and that definitely made a difference on that line. It's made up with a speed guy in Johansson, a finisher in Boldy, and a nose-to-the-grindstone worker in Erickson Eck. They didn't have that. And if Erickson X in the middle of that line, does Boldy have a better series? I think it's a fair assumption to make. But you have to be able to count on your scorers to find a way to score when you're missing guys. And Boldy wasn't that. And maybe part of it is that he was too perimeter. Maybe he got away with the perimeter stuff during the regular season because Erickson Eck was doing the work in the corner. See, that's what I, uh, it's interesting because if you look at his two heat maps, um, it wasn't as concentrated in the playoffs. He was definitely way too perimeter. His average uh, shot uh, uh, length was 40 feet. But in the, pl- in the regular season, it was still in the 30s. So he, you know, he, if you think of a lot of his goals this year, there were snipes and you know, beautiful things from the face-off circles, top of the dots, which is fine. But you know, that is one thing that where I think that he's just going to have to get, he's going to have to realize that think, players do things in the playoffs that they just don't do in the regular season. And yeah. that's sacrificing one's body and getting to the net. And I, I really felt like we saw a trend starting in game one. I just remember a couple minutes into that game, people could go back and look at the tape. Three on two, he skates in down the right wing and he just abruptly, inexplicably hit the brakes. And it just, it to me, I'm like, I even remember saying to Joe Smith, my colleague at The Athletic, like, uh-oh. Like, you know, it just screamed to me as a guy that was not willing to drive himself to the net um, in traffic. And, and I think that's one of the things that he's just going to have to realize that, you know, next year, um, it, it, it takes a, it takes a transition in one's game. You have to be willing to pay a price. There's no question. And especially in the first round, everybody's got the gas tank full. They're going a thousand miles an hour. Everything settles down a little bit. Once you get past that first round, we've even seen it in game ones of these playoff series. It's just different. It's not, yeah. Guys aren't running each other through the wall anymore, and you can't play at that pace yeah. for six weeks. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I, I was just watching uh, part of the Carolina-New Jersey game, and right now as we're doing this, it's New Jersey uh, getting uh, bumped by Carolina 3 nothing. They're 3-1. only 3-1 now? Yeah. So their only shot in the first period was a flip from center ice. Um, and it, it was funny because that's kind of what I expected from Florida in game one against Toronto as a team that maybe had an emotional letdown from big Series win against Boston, and maybe that 
you know, that they would go into Toronto and just kind of melt down. And it was the complete opposite. But New Jersey, I think, had it, this reminded me of when when Minnesota played Chicago in 2014 and shows up there in the middle of the night for game one of that next series and just had no energy and, you know, had that huge win against Colorado. And um, it's just it's always the second round is always different. I always say the first round of the playoffs is just always the best hockey. Yeah, and it's different. There's no question. And I, I think I still think New Jersey will win that series. And I, I think I just thought the way they played late in the Ranger series was incredible. Yeah. How fast they were, how they took over that series. But there is a difference. I, you mentioned the Florida series. We might as well just what, what who's your pick in the Carolina Jersey series? I pick Jersey. Yeah. I like Jersey. In the Florida Toronto series, I, I think the Leafs will still win the series, even though they're down one zero as we record this and Maybe it'll go a little deeper than I thought, but I think what people forgot about Florida is that this was the best yeah. team in the league a year ago. And while this year they spun their wheels early, adjusting to a new coach, it's largely the same team that a year ago was the best team in the yep. league. Only with Matthew and, Kachuk. <laughs> right. And, yeah. you know, Kachuk instead of Huberto. Yeah. So they did lose but Kachuk a Kachuk is a true... He's a superstar. And look at the difference in what he did this year compared to what Huberto did in Calgary. And I think Huberto will probably be better next year. But still, it, you just can't lose sight of the fact that this was basically the same team that a year ago was the best in the NHL. It took them a while to adjust to Paul Maurice. But down the stretch, they played some great hockey. And maybe in hindsight, it shouldn't have been a complete shock that they... It's still an upset, for sure. But it isn't like you're looking at a typical team that was 43 points behind Boston. You, you think Florida can beat Toronto? I think they can. Um, I, it's the classic grind, grind like four checking style versus, uh, you know, speed and skill. Um, uh, I really do. I mean, as long as Bobrovsky continues to play this way, but they got depth up and down the lineup. Uh, Bobrovsky is a great story. Yeah. Think about it, that Alex Lyon was their guy yeah. early in that series. Yeah. And it wasn't until he got knocked out that Bobrovsky even appeared. And then all of a sudden he plays great down yep. the stretch against Boston. How about on the other side? I watched the Seattle Dallas first game last night. And it's, the more you watch Seattle, the more, and I've always been a big Dave Haxtall fan. I love the way he gets his teams to play. And right now this team is bought into playing the way he, it, it's the way his North Dakota teams always played. They work their tails off. They're disciplined. They're not necessarily highlight real goal scorers, but they've got skill. They've got speed. I still think Dallas wins that series, but it is the fact that Seattle was able to withstand four goals from Joe Pavelski last night and, yeah. and still win game one on the road tells you a little bit about them. You know, what's interesting about Seattle to transition back to the wild is that's grit first. The way that they um, like that Colorado team offensively, especially in game five, could do nothing. Beaten every puck. Had a guy in their face every really? second. Really, I thought game five, six, and seven. Yeah. Even though Colorado won game six, yep. it, Seattle was yep. the better team for those yep. last three games. And I just think checking, you know, they they check. And that, to me, is grit first, where I think the Wild took grit first to the nth degree, where it was just try to hit hard. And uh, they just, I don't know. So uh, you're you're picking Seattle to beat Dallas? No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, uh, to your point, I'm super impressed with that team, and I think that's why they beat Colorado. Yeah. Is because uh, I think the, they actually took the Wilds, uh, um, you know, motto for the playoffs or mantra and actually, you know, achieved it. So let's talk about that part of the Wilds game, because we talked a lot on this show. We talked more about it on our broadcast than I ever liked to the, the officiating in the series. And there were some egregious missed calls. But all that aside, 
I really felt like, and Ryan Reeves said it during his press conference the other day, that he felt the team lacked discipline. And I felt it throughout the series where I really think they let some of the calls get to them, but I also think they lacked discipline. And they did throughout the season. There were long stretches where they just took way too many penalties. And while there were a lot of nights, and and I think Dean was right a lot of times where he said, look, those were penalties, but there were also four on the other side that weren't called. And it, But there was a point during the season where I just said, well, how many times can after a game you keep saying the calls didn't go our way before you say, all right, it's time to adjust the way we're playing the game? Because bottom line is the Wild, they were in the top six teams in the league in terms of penalties taken over the course of the season. They were better down the stretch, but it, came to the surface again in this playoff and it, you can't allow that to happen especially when you're facing a power play as potent as what Dallas has and I do think um that they that teams sometimes take on the personality of their coach and I do think I know these refs they they hold grudges um they hear everything they see everything I've talked to so many refs and concierge lounges this year that have told me that that they know they're in for a fight every time they play Florida. And a lot of it is because of their coach being so fiery. And I think that Minnesota, is one thing. Yeah. And I think that one of their, um, that Dean's got to adjust to this, uh, this off season and going into next year is to lay off the refs because they, it's like, they almost look out for, for penalties. Well, and, and I do think the players feed off that because they feel now, um, you, you know, like they have almost permission to bitch and moan and all that type. Yeah, and the intensity level's high when you get in the playoffs, without a doubt. And it's a lot easier said than done to, especially when you get the the Foligno-type penalties. Everybody in the building knew that both of those penalties were terrible calls. The league basically admitted it after the fact. But the bottom line is that if that carried over then... So we got major problems. The, the dogs aren't, they're not fans of the officials in the street either. So they're roaring at them. But I think that carried over. And you mentioned the officials. Even if you don't go so far as to say carry grudges, they are aware of what's happening. There is no doubt they knew that Marcus Felino in the post game press conference after game four said those two penalties were BS. There's no doubt that they were looking for. So they're looking out for Marcus Foligno. And I wonder if that penalty that he took in game five, if it's not Marcus Foligno, do they get the call right and call it two minutes? I don't know. And bottom line is, even if it was only two minutes, they scored a power play goal eight seconds in, so you still would have been down one, but it did change the entire complexion of the game. Foligno's gone for the night with 54 minutes left in that game. It changed a lot more than just that one goal. But I, but I think they've got to figure that out. There, there's certainly an edge that the Wild need to play with to be effective. Dean talked about that in his pregame. I think it was before game six where he said, what am I going to do to Marcus Polino? Tell him, don't hit people. Don't hit people so hard. And I know at that time he was saying it to try to protect his player. But I do think that the, I think this series, that bled through to the team and it hurt him without a doubt. And I keep going back to, I think we maybe talked about this on the last show. The way Mike Yo handled the missed calls in that 2014 series is still one of the more eye-opening examples of a coach 
deflecting and therefore protecting his team. And if Minnesota, if fans don't remember, they had lost in Colorado twice with extra attacker goals that then led to Colorado overtime goals. And the second one in game four was a play where Paul Stastny was offside yeah, by five. Like three strides. Game five, yep. exactly. I'm sorry, game five. That put Colorado up 3-2 in the series. And after the game, this was before you could challenge offside, Yo didn't say a word about it. In fact, when he was asked about it, he said, it's done, we got to go home and yeah, win I game six. Because I asked the question. Yeah, and, and then they come home and they, because it wasn't, it was just like, it's over and done with, guys. Let's move on. And they came home, put the hammer to Colorado in game six. And I really think that carried through to game seven. Then you got a team that was able to overcome the four one-goal leads that Colorado had in that game because it was just, don't worry about it. Just, it's the next play, next play, next play. And I think that got away from Minnesota in this series, whether it was because of what Dean was saying, whether it was because he was on the refs, or it was just, I felt from the start of the series, Marcus Foligno was screaming at referees from the first couple shifts of game one. I know he was trying to set a tone and send a message to the stars. Remember then when he took the penalty, he got the embellishment call and he's signaling to the Dallas bench, you're diving, you're diving during the game three win. It just was, there was just so much stuff going on that I think got in the way of the wild playing the way they wanted to play. And, and with all that, Dallas was better. They were the better team. They Minnesota would have needed some breaks to win the series. They didn't get them. Yeah. Um, I, I just, uh, I think one reason why Bill Guerin was so uh, almost put, you know, brought up the cap hits yesterday out of the blue and things like that is I think to try to take some heat off Dean, because I think that, um, you know, he knows that right now they've lost four straight opening rounds under Dean Evison. If you include the qualifying round and that was going to be a big question yesterday. Well, I think it's probably one reason why Bill Guerin and Dean Evison did it together to make it tougher to ask about Dean's job. And I look, this is, Dean is going to be when next year, when those odds come out, coaches on the hot seat, Dean's going to be right at the top of the list. And there's, it's just the reality. Last year, they had a 113 point season. They lost in the first round this year. The same thing again, he's one and 12 in Milwaukee. He's, uh, you know, eight and 15 in Minnesota has never won a first round series as a professional coach. And, and I think that, um, you know, the special teams rearing its ugly head again and all that type of stuff, I think, um, is some of the things that, uh, that are, yeah, I think you know, it depends on well. what happens. Yeah. You know, let's say that, let's say next season, they, let's say they go in keep in mind, not the, the last year against St. Louis was the only one of these losses where Minnesota was the favored team where they were the better team. And, and I'd argue that that blues team was just as good as Minnesota. They were pretty damn good. I, I, in fact, I think that margin was probably smaller than the margin between Dallas and Minnesota this year. If you look at rosters as a whole, but I think if you go into a playoff series next year against somebody you should beat and lose, I think it's absolutely a fair point to make. Let's say you go into the playoffs as a wild card team and you get beat by a division leader or division winner. Then I don't think that it really matters at that point. This, all the points Billy made yesterday during his press conference were all along the lines of that. This is a team that's building towards something that it wasn't going to happen this year. This team was not going to win the Stanley cup this year. I don't, I don't think even deep down Billy would have said that if he thought they were going to win, I think they'd have been more aggressive at the trade deadline, but I think they're building towards something that's a year, two, three years down the road where they feel like they'll be poised to, to make a deep run. They've been, a, they've been hoarding assets 
in order to be ready for that run. And I think during those years is when, if a coach doesn't get out of the first round, that you absolutely say it's time. Uh, let's talk more about that after uh, after the break because uh, I I do agree with you on on you know what Billy was trying to say yesterday and also uh, you know to your points on the trade deadline as well. Um, but I did want to tell you about Connecticut uh, um, and and Aquarius Home Services. It's back the Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut customer appreciation and open house event is happening. It's going to happen Friday May fifth um, through Sunday May seventh. Connecticut water treatment systems are up to 30% off. Salt and water filters are up to 20% off. New heating and cooling systems up to 25% off. Food and fun for all. There's a petting zoo, everything. And be sure to bring your water sample for a free water analysis. The Aquarius Connecticut open house event may fit through the 7th in Little Canada at 694 and 35E. Details are at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. I can't wait to get down to Twill at the Galleria in Edina and take a look at their summer sportswear. It finally is summer. I finally have time. What's amazing to me is as we do this show, we're only three days removed from the end of the season, which it feels like it's been done for a month. But By the it, way, and you have an unbelievable suntan. It's just amazing that you got that in three days. It was actually in one day. Today was the first day it was sunny outside for a round of golf, and I can't get down there. can't wait to get down there to check out some of their golf apparel, some of their just summer sportswear. I got to shift into baseball mode, so I got to make sure it's more of the different kind of shirts. It's not shirts and ties during the summer for us at the ballpark, different kind of shirts. But it's a tremendous spot. I did get a look at some of their recent tie editions, so you know I'm a big tie guy, so I want to go down there and check those out too before we get into next season. That's a twill at the Galleria in Edina. And here's a word from Bo Schlafram. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Back here, Worst Seats in the House, Mike Russo, Anthony LaPanta, Margo cooking dinner, uh, Phil and Stanley making noise. Uh, May 8th is our next live show at Tuttle's 7 p.m. May 8th at Tuttle's. Aren't we coming for, to you from the Aquarius Home Services yeah, studio? Yeah, we are coming to the kitchen? Aquarius Home Services studio on location at the uh, LaPanta kitchen. Um, so uh, you, we were talking about Billy's press conference yesterday, and obviously I know that a lot of people <laughs> made a big deal out of it because he and I had a testy exchange, which to me was absolutely nothing. It didn't need to be aggravated into blogs and things like that. It was absolutely nothing. Um, uh, Wait, something like, got exaggerated on social yeah, media? Yeah, I know. You're uh, kidding. Yeah. Um, who, so, would, who would do such a thing? Never anybody. Um, but hey, uh, so... I mean, the one thing that you said that I think is true is that like when Billy was talking about, you know, that I, I guess the one thing that that, you know, at least, you know, Joe Smith, who wrote the column and, and fans talking about it is, you know, the ch the change of direction where, you know, before the series, this team could beat last year's team and it's about winning and and being aggressive at the trade deadline. And and, um, and you know, we all learned our hard lessons from last year. But I think what he was trying to say was also is that, look, they're, they're trying to build for a Stanley Cup championship. This is a long-term goal here. 
And yeah, if they thought this was a Stanley Cup contender right at the beginning, instead of trading for Gus Nyquist and Marcus Johansson and Oscar Sundquist and John Klingberg, they would have traded for Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane. But they're not at the point where he is willing in their window to give up first round picks, top prospects and things like that. And I think that's what he was, you know, trying to say, um, you know, where he was basically talking about the first round and things like that. Yeah, it, it isn't. The goal wasn't to win a first round series. And therefore, just because you lost a first round series doesn't make the season a failure. I think there were some reasons to look at this season with concern because there were some things that happened that would leave you concerned. But to me, losing to Dallas was not one of them. They lost to a team that was better than them. They lost to a team that was better than them without Jules Eriksson Eck, who was probably their most irreplaceable player. But they lost to a team whose goaltender performed better. Their special teams were better all season long. They might be, they were one of the top three in the league in terms of combined special teams all season. You knew their special teams were going to be better, and they were better. You hope the margin would be smaller, but the best penalty killing forward the Wild have saw 19 seconds and zero on the penalty kill throughout the series. I think the reasons that you'd have to look at the season with concern, because there were a lot of things that were great. Gustafson emerged as a, as a legitimate option in goal. Kirill Kaprizov proved that last year wasn't a fluke. He had a bad playoff, but he was outstanding again all season. Matt Zuccarello was great. Freddie Gaudreau was good again, proved that that wasn't a fluke. Jules Eriksson X game took the next step. Brock Faber emerged as a legitimate top four type defenseman. But then I think there were some other, Marco Rossi, it's a disappointing season. Without uh, without a doubt, they thought he was going to be a bigger part of the season. He might have had a great development season in the American Hockey League, but he's not where they were hoping he would be at this point in his career. And I think the the other thing is that, yeah, you, you didn't find a way. Marcus Foligno took a step back offensively. They had to make the move with Jordan Greenway because he couldn't duplicate what he did last year. So there were there were a couple things that would be that you would say were points of concern, but to me, the fact that they lost the first round series to Dallas isn't it isn't even in the top five things that I'd be worried about after looking at this season. And I think that's what Billy was trying to say. Yeah. Is I think- with the season there were a lot of positives in the season, another hundred point season, again uh, back in the playoffs ten times in eleven years. Nobody in the league has been in the playoffs more over that 11-year stretch. And you look at that atmosphere that was in St. Paul in those playoff games, that's what fans have to realize. That just doesn't happen. There are are no markets that have been there more often than the Wild over this stretch of 11 years. Here's my concern is, you know, by him bringing and reminding us about the cap hits yesterday, which is valid. um, What he's also saying is that in the next two years, give us your money but the expectations are not to get past the first round either. Um, And it's going to be very, very hard, even harder. Like you look at their roster right now and they are going to bring back largely the same team. July one, expect like three, two way guys. And that's it. Like there's nothing they can do. And so they're going to essentially roll it back next year. And then they're going to have to make some major decisions on how the heck to get either Zuccarello or Hartman or, or Felino under, under, uh, contract and if next year goes awry you have three potential unrestricted free agents that you could move um but that would be my only concern is that how do the fans no matter what billy meant to say and how he and and i i do understand what you're saying 
is that you also are telling the fans like, hey, these cap hits are real. And by the way, they get worse next year. They're 14.7, not 12.7. And um, so we're just going to have to hope that this team just figures it out. Yeah, but I do think there are a couple areas where hope is reasonable. I think it's reasonable to expect that you see a better Matt Boldy throughout the entire season next year and for sure into the playoffs. There was some magic with he, Johansson, and Erickson Eck together that now maybe you have that secondary scoring line that, frankly, they didn't have this entire season. They were looking for that. That allows you to play guys like Polino, like Gaudreau, in a role that's probably more suited for themselves. I think one of the big questions is, is Rossi ready to be a an impact player in the NHL? I think it's a huge offseason for him. If he is, that's one of the players that makes a big difference. I also think we're taking for granted that there aren't any trades involved here that potentially open up a little cap space. But I don't think Billy, I didn't interpret him saying the cap hits are going to get worse and make it harder as this is the way it's going to be for the next two years. I think it just means you absolutely have to have some guys from within your own system that are on their entry-level deals making very, I shouldn't say little money because they're making a lot of money compared to most people on the planet, just little compared to other NHL players. You got to have a couple of guys making under a million bucks that play major roles on your team. And if you get that, that's how you can survive being underneath this cap. And it just means you can't be as deep as other teams. Look at the difference between Dallas and Minnesota. And when Minnesota loses Erickson Eck, it's moving Freddie Gaudreau up in the lineup, who's a, really a good hockey player inserting Sam Steele. When Dallas loses Joe Pavelski, they slide Tyler Sagan up in their lineup. There's just a difference. And their additions at the deadline were Dodonov and Domi, more impactful players where Minnesota was rolling the dice on an injured Gus Nyquist, hoping they could find uh, discover a little magic left in Marcus Johansson, which they did. But they just they had to take more low risk, high reward kind of players where Dallas could go after more sure things. And because of it, they were a deeper club and could withstand injuries and and guys that didn't have great series. They had more guys that that were capable of of stepping up in a playoff series. Yeah, um, that's where Minnesota and they're going to have to do it the same way. The depth is going to have to come from within. They aren't going to be able to go out and add major impact free agents or in season trades. Yeah. I mean, they, they the, again, the Wild technically could. They had the cap space to go after all those guys. It was just that they, they, they're not at that window where they were willing to give up the, the top prospects in the first-round pick. You mentioned Rossi and Addison. This is a huge offseason for each of them. Both of them are staying here for most of the offseason to work with Matt Harder, their strength coach, and Andy Ness, their skills coach, their skating coach. My question, my biggest question is, do they even get to training camp? Both of them. You know, I really do think that Kalen Addison, despite the fact that that uh, his that without Klingberg and all that that if they don't if they trade him they're not going to have somebody to run the power play unless it's Spurgeon. Um, I think that he is absolutely trade bait. I, I you know everything that they said about this being a big off season and we're going to need. Uh, I think that they're going to trade him if they could. And same thing with Rossi. I am not convinced that if somebody came to Bill Guerin with a first round pick and he looked at it and said, you know what, we could start over. If he genuinely thinks that Marco Rossi um, is not going to be the player that they envisioned him, I think that they move him um, and and essentially start over. And look, you can't deny the fact. I know he missed a year, 
Um, you just can't deny the fact that when you look at Cole Perfetti and you looked at Seth Jarvis and you look at Anton Lundell, that these guys are all functioning at high levels of the National Hockey League. And there are four, three centers taken right behind them in the draft, and Marco is still at a point where they just feel like he's not explosive enough from his skating, he's not strong enough from his body, and all that. Yeah, I think it's... I wouldn't be at that point yet to give up on him. And I, I wouldn't I, uh, either. I'm just saying I'm not convinced that they're not. Yeah. Well, I, I think if somebody offers a number one in this year's draft and it's a top half of the first round, number one, I don't think anybody's going to offer that. But if it's a number one, a couple of years down the road, I wouldn't take that. Uh, I wouldn't take that for anything, but I, I, I think this year is a, I think it's a critical off season for Rossi without a doubt. And I, I really think, he was a guy that just needed to have he needed to have a statistical success early his the game was fine he was a reliable guy in his own zone he was a decent face-off guy he was a responsible guy if he had been on the score sheet in the first six eight games even if it was just a couple secondary assists or something i think there he put so much pressure on himself when he wasn't scoring and didn't score that then all of a sudden it was a snowball effect the wrong way. And I think it, I think it affected him. I think it got to him and he's probably a guy that needed to have experience a little bit of a, I don't want to call it even like phantom success because every point in the NHL is, is real, but it just, it didn't have to be a highlight real play. It just had to be a, a puck that hit him in the butt that deflected to somebody and they scored where he gets an assist on it. Yep. He just needed something like that. And I think you, I think his I, game I will would say have been with, with Bill Guerin in particular, and Dean Evison, the people that are running the ship, he also needs to show a little bit more of a pulse. He really does. Like even in, you know, down the stretch, like, you know, when Sam Steele took his, took the roster spot instead of him over, you know, when Erickson Eck was here, like, it was just like, you know, there was no like anger about it. Nothing. It was just like, Nope, I'll wait my turn. And, and that's the type of thing like Bill wants to see you be pissed. And, yeah. and, and I thought those games at the end of the year when Erickson Eck went down and they were giving some guys nights off, those were important nights for him. And he didn't show yeah. much. He, yeah, it didn't, he didn't look a lot different from what we had seen early in the season. And he probably just needs an off season to reset to, yep. you mentioned the work that has to be done and, and that's all valid. But it's also a mental reset. And now come back to camp next year and be ready to go. And I, I think it probably says a maturity level to management and the coaching staff that, that he, goes, he doesn't have to stay here. You know, he has every right to go back to Austria. Um, and, uh, but for Bill Guerin to request, like, look, you got to get stronger. You got to get more explosive with your skating. Please stay with our people. For him to say, yes, I will. Um, you know, I think that says something about his maturity level as well. Um, I really get the impression, Anthony, for a team that has 8.1 million in cap space, that they're going to sign Ryan Reeves, or at least it's on the table and he's got to make the decision. Um, it's just, uh, surprising me. I just think that you could spend that money more wisely. Like even Bill Guerin in that press conference says with, in, in, in context to Kalen Addison, you cannot waste a roster spot on a specialty player. Well, what is Ryan Reeves? He, he doesn't play special teams. He is a fourth liner that doesn't score and probably isn't fast enough to make those big hits anymore. And it just, um, you know, so basically I think a lot of it is because they're going to lose Dumba. I think that they feel that energy level and that presence by Ryan Reeves is invaluable. 
But at some point, don't you have to give that spot to a Sammy Walker, to a to a Adam Beckman, to whoever? Um, and you know what? If you want next, if you feel like next season you're lacking that, or you're not gritty enough, or you need that ruggedness, you can go get Ryan Reeves or something like that at midseason, just like they did this year. Yeah, I was going to bring up the exact same point you did with Dumba's likely departure that that might be why he's feeling mm -hmm. like I need this guy, this presence, this, this kind of a leader. I thought Reeves's postseason press conference was interesting in that he admitted that he wants to scratch every dollar out of the rest of his right. career. And if that's what he's doing here, then adios, I don't, I don't know. We never know what those specific negotiations are, but I, if I'm Garen, it would have to be a, a minimum deal to, in order to make it fit with what else they're up against with all these guys. That's just my opinion. I, I personally, I think you could, I think you're tough enough in your lineup with Middleton, with Felino, with Duhame. And I get it. Those guys are guys that you, you don't want to see them fighting every night, but how often do you need to fight? We just saw it in the series with Dallas. Dallas didn't want to fight. They didn't have a single guy that wanted to fight. And so you got all these guys in your in your lineup. It's like having a whole bunch of hearts in your hand, but diamonds are trump. It just doesn't, it isn't going to help you that much. And over the course of the season, you have a few more nights where maybe that's a factor. But I think you're, if you look around the league, there just aren't a lot of teams that have a guy in their lineup that would require you to have that kind of presence on the ice. I'd love to. But I do think the yeah. off ice is. That's I do think there's some legitimacy. Yeah, to he's that. he's a, he's a leader in that locker room. Um, you know, he's a voice in that locker room, and he brings energy to that locker room. Um, uh, like Gustafson is an interesting one too, because uh, you know, I think all of us here ago thought that he'd be like two million dollar player. Um, now I mean, you look at like Kakinen gets two point seven five. Aiden Hill's number last year, like he's going to get over three million, um, easily. Um, so that's going to be a huge chunk. Does did his postseason make you change your opinion of uh, the trust level and giving him? Uh, they're not going to give him like number one money, like six, seven, eight million. But no. does it make you concerned that they're going to maybe give him too much term, too much money here? I think it's a spot where it's probably best for both sides to be a short term, lower dollar mm -hmm. number. If if Gustafson was going to sign a longer term deal that AAV likely has to go up. It's one of those backward situations where it just in compared to negotiations of just about anything else, the shorter the term, the smaller the dollar amount usually can be in these spots because you're giving him free agency at a younger age where he's going to be able to, to go command more. I don't know that I'd say the playoff series changed my opinion of him, but I still don't believe he's proven that he's ready to be a number one every night NHL guy. And part of the reason I think he was so good throughout the regular season and down the stretch is they the were playing he and Flurry basically every other night. And so now you're playing two games a week instead of five games every two weeks. There, there, there's a difference there. He's got to prove that he can handle that. And... I didn't think he was great in the playoff series. I didn't think he was the reason the Wild lost, but no. Jake Ottinger was better. As, as he said, he, he was average. You know? yeah. I mean, that's and Ottinger was better. Yep. And that's a big reason why it's hard to win a playoff series when you have the second best goalie. Yep. And it, that was what was tough. So 
I think he's season for him too. He's got to come in and shape. Absolutely. You know, and that's that was, a part of what I'm saying yeah. is if you're going to ask this guy to play 55 games next year, he's got to be better prepared to do that physically than he was this year. This year he came in with the, they were wondering how they'd get him to 25 and then he wound up playing great. So next year, if you're going to come in and say, all right, we're going to count on this guy. Let's say the number's 50. I know they don't ever want to assign a number, but if it's 50, He's got to prove that he can do that over the course of the season. I don't know that he's proven that yet. So therefore, again, we're guessing on these negotiations. But if it's me, I'd I'd be in favor of or looking to try to get him to agree to some shorter term, a little smaller value, and three say, times three and a half, maybe. Yeah, and then say, all right, if you go out and this is a prove it deal, and if you turn out to be as good as you think you are, and we hope you are, well, your next deal is going to be number one money. And at that point, we've got money, and we might be able to give it to you. We'd love to give it to you, but right now, this is the best we can do. Yeah, uh, interesting. And, and as you mentioned, Oninger, best goalie in the series. And that, that, to me, was my biggest concern going into the Dallas series. Like I, I still come from the old school that if you have the best number one center, the best number one goalie, and the best number one defenseman, you're going to win. Well, there's no denying that Ottinger, Hintz, and Heiskanen were the best three in those in the series. Yeah, and it's, and they had the best special teams. Yep, which they and they did all year. Minnesota's were improved; they were tenth and fifteenth. Dallas's were third and fifth. They were better. We'll go to Twitter questions next, but I want to tell you that it's spring. The weather is getting nicer. Anthony was just on the golf course, and that means the spring selling season is here. Skip the spring cleaning and get straight to the spring selling. Be proactive and take action today even if you're not quite ready to sell your home yet. So you can be better informed and ready to move forward when the time is right. More people are moving again as interest rates have stabilized. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There's no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's an easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be. There's no obligation. Go to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Close with confidence and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Open a smart checking account at Royal Credit Union and enjoy a $250 bonus. Royal Smart Checking has no monthly fees and no minimum balance requirement. See offer details and exclusions and open your account today at rcu.org slash checking bonus. Insured by NCUA. The Stanley Cup playoffs are still in full swing and a great place to watch the games is at Moe's at the Ice House. Great TVs set up and a great menu. When you go in there, they've got a, they're known for their wings. They've got some great pizzas as well. But check out some of the burgers. You'll like the New Brighton Burger. I always, when I've been there before, I like the Jim Beam Burger. Check it out. But it's a great spot to sit inside, watch the Stanley Cup playoffs, and for some of us, we're shifting over to baseball, so it's not a bad place to watch a ball game either. It's Moe's at the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. All right, let's go to Twitter questions. Uh, Bruce Siski says, I know you uh, said Bill biting your head off wasn't a big deal. I don't even think he bit my head off. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, he says, but when stuff like that happens, is it just understood that it's no big deal or does it get talked out behind closed doors? You know what this really reminded me of is when, uh, when uh, during the, the St. Louis series, when the wild fell down three Oh to St. Louis and Bruce and Bruce Boudreau and I had a real testy um, exchange in the post game. And that one, he actually walked off the dais. If you remember Anthony and, and ended his press conference. And anyway, I went upstairs, I wrote, and then I look at Twitter and I saw it was just this huge deal. And it kind of surprised me. And that was the way this one was. This was to me, nothing um, to me. This is more a respect thing. This is just like, like Bill Guerin and I talk candidly a lot 
Um, usually it's on the, you know, by in person or on the phone or something like that. And sometimes when we disagree, we, you know, we, we stand our ground and that's clearly what this was. It was not a big deal at all, but uh, yeah, I mean, this one was just an understood thing that it wasn't a big deal. In fact, I laughed about it today when I was talking to Bill on the phone about how everybody's making a big deal. And yes, to your point, I actually met with Bill after that presser for a long time, just on other stuff as well. So absolutely not a big one. Well, it's the nature of our jobs are different, but we both have different relationships with the coach and with the general manager where there are times where we don't necessarily always agree. And most of the time, at least at this point in, I think both of our relationships with both of the people we're talking about, the general manager and the coach, they've been here now a few years. There's a trust factor that's built up where they, for the most part, well, they know that my role is different. I'm not one that's going to write much about an opinion or even say much about an opinion, but there are times I'll, I'll never forget earlier this year. I had asked a number of times during our pregame meetings with Dean Evison, where I had asked about some line combinations. I don't even remember what the combination was that I had continued to bring up. Like, Oh, it was Ryan Hartman going back with Zuccarello and Kaprizov. And there, I had asked about it three, four, five times over the span of, let's say a month. And one day we were, we were in a pregame presser or pregame meeting, but it was also a national TV broadcast. It was side by side that we were doing. And that night they were going to put Hartman back with those guys for the first time. And as we're in the meeting and I said, okay, well, why was tonight the night to put Ryan Hartman back? And, and Dean snapped at me like, you've been asking me this for a month. Every day I come down here. Would you think about doing this to try to get this? And every time I did, well, today I'm doing it. And so then you asked me about it today and I'm, and the national guys kind of looked like, holy cow, is the, is he seriously like snapping at this guy? And, but Dean and I have a, a good enough relationship where I know he was just giving me a rough time. And, but it, sometimes when it happens in front of other people, they don't always know that. And I don't, this was different with Billy, with you, because I know that it's sensitive that. No, but none of those guys wanted to lose in the first round and they know they're going to have to sit there and ask, answer the question that it was another year and another first round loss. And so it, it just, it's the way it happens. And most of the time it's not as it isn't, like, as, it's not uh, like yeah, two, uh, it's I not just, like two people yeah, arguing in your yeah, kitchen that you, where they might come to blows. Yeah. And you know, what's really interesting about this one is, and maybe one reason why, um, I thought it was no big deal is that, is that. Fans and you see it. Fans have no idea the the sh that I have to the fires I have to put out on an everyday basis. It's like behind the scenes, there's always something, and this was nothing compared to the some stuff that I have to put out. And like like to me, this was an absolutely nothing thing. And I, so I get why fans see it because they're just not used to maybe reporter and and Billy and and a GM live on on. The fan well, and, and, and coaches and GMs don't like every question that gets yeah, asked of them. I mean, it's yeah, just that like a lot of times it's not live on, it's not yeah. live on the radio but, or yeah, on television. Like, again, like, trust me, this was the least stressful thing that happened to me in the last month. So anyway, um, <laughs> um, Jade asks, uh, do you get any sense that assistant GM Chris O'Hearn is getting interest for any open GM jobs? If he doesn't or won't get interest, will he be in the driver's seat for picking the next coach in Iowa? Um, well, all right. Uh, first of all, um, you know, I could tell you that Chris, um, 
you know, who knows five, 10 years from now, if he's going to want to go for one of these jobs from, but from what I've always talked to Chris about is he is so perfectly happy working with Bill Guerin and being the behind the scenes guy, you know, everybody has their strengths and things like that. Uh, Anthony can't write his way out of a paper bag, but he's good on TV. I'm the opposite. Um, so, uh, you know, like, and, and I think that Chris O'Hearn, Mariana write for me. She's yeah. a very talented writer. You are actually a very good writer. I've seen, I read your newsletters every now and then. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the, you know, like the, like to me, Chris, um, he likes that background stuff and he does a really good job of it. I mean, even you know, their contract negotiations, people love talking to him and things like that. Um, so I think that Chris, if he wants to one day do that, he absolutely can. Everybody has different skill sets. You don't have to be a GM like Bill Guerin that just has the ability to go in a locker room and yell at people. Um, you know, and that's probably where, or, or dealing with the media and things like that. Um, he likes to be that behind the scenes guy and maybe eventually he'll build that skill set where he wants to go do that. But right now I think he's super happy in terms of Iowa. Um, technically Mike Murray is the, uh, Iowa GM, Bill Guerin's choosing that job. Um, I think, I actually think that, um, that it's going to come to a, um, a conclusion fairly soon. Um, I think that, you know, there makes sense guys, uh, you know, you have six first or second year, um, defensemen that are going to be there next year. So you're going to want a young coach that maybe has that history of working with defense, um, and things like that. So like maybe a Mike Van Ryan, who is the coach in St. Louis that used to coach Tucson. Um, John Trochetti is somebody that I bet would be interested you know, if I were wild, one person I'd actually look at is Brett McLean, their assistant coach. If he has aspirations to be a head coach one day, he was the assistant coach in Iowa for a couple of years before they promote him up here. I think Brett is somebody that they would uh, look at very heavily. And so I think that we're going to get to that conclusion uh, pretty soon. Yeah, and I have no idea. I, have, I haven't talked to Brett about it at all, but there is a difference between being an assistant coach and being a head coach. And Sometimes the path to an NHL head coaching job is to be the top assistant on a staff. Sometimes it's to yep. be a head guy in the American Hockey League. Yeah, look at Jeff Halper in the longtime Tampa Bay assistant coach right now. He's interviewing for jobs in Washington where he used to play in Anaheim. And, um, you know, but he's never been a head coach, but he's been alongside the best head coach in the National Hockey League for years. So, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a path. But if somebody like a Brett McLean wanted to go be a head coach in the National Hockey League, you probably need to get that experience down in Iowa. So it's always good going to come down to like if if brett was interested like you know what is he willing to do would he prefer to be here where he's settled and has family here and all that or or would you want to maybe go down there uh keith lang uh asks um i i know he wears a letter but any chance someone like felino gets traded with only one year left on a deal he had a really disappointing season in playoff and it seems unlikely bill will be able to offer afford to extend him next off season um i get the impression that that they have no interest in trading him now i actually think that your question is extremely valid just from a cap standpoint, it would create $3.1 million, I think three one in cap space. Um, but the other thing is if things go awry next year, you know, that would be a huge chip at the deadline. You know, him, uh, Hartman, Zuccarello are all pending UFAs. Zuccarello is still somebody that I think they would love to bring back. Um, not necessarily signing an extension now, but you know, next year. Um, I, I just don't see them trading Felino now, but it's a valid question. Yeah, it's a valid question. I can't imagine that they would trade him now. I think it would have to be something unforeseen that would happen during next season that would things would really have to go upside down to to make that kind of a deal at the trade deadline. But I do think I also think he's a guy that I get the impression, which I think is obvious, that he'd like to stay here beyond the end of this contract and and it's probably a similar spot to what we've talked about with a couple of these other guys that 
you all know what the situation is for the team. So are you willing to trade AAV for a little term and stay here? And I don't know if it would be, if it's fair to say, end your career here at this point for him, but for sure, Hey, let's take a look at extending it to three years and what a great leader in a role playing role he could be for a couple of years after the end of this contract. Uh, yes. Um, let's see. Uh, Dan Donarski, and this is sort of similar to Skyler. Long, long question short. Do you think the next two seasons are good years for prospects develop the following three or so being our true window? It's just gonna be interesting. I mean, I would think one, one other thing that Billy was trying to say yesterday is that, you know, when he said that, I wish I could speed everything up is that they got, you know, who's on DNF, you and Ogren expected to come over together next summer. You know, who's enough is going to be at that point and have like 170 KHL games. He conceivably could come right into the Wilds lineup um, and play play center. Um, you're off and over and probably start in Iowa. But that is one thing that this team is looking forward to. And by the time these guys are ready, that cap hell right. will be over. And that's what we were talking about, though. You need a couple of those type of guys to become your depth players, guys that are coming up through your system and therefore not commanding the huge free agent dollars and if you can if that can be your depth where you've got those guys now you can go spend a couple extra million bucks on on more veteran type presence guys and say all right and then these are the guys that that if they're ready and ready to thrive great and if not they're the the first call-ups that fill in those slots uh, Dave asks, um, you know, if we miss or look to miss the class, what players in our expiring deals that Garen could move for high picks or mid-level picks? I mentioned those guys, you know, uh, obviously Flowers in the last year of his deal, Zuki, Hartman, Alino. Um, Galagoski is one that I could see being moved this summer. I think that he is, was, I know he was not happy this last year. He was at scratch like almost like, what, 40 games, didn't play in the playoffs second year in a row. If they can move him, I think they'd give him that opportunity. For sure, but he obviously would have to be the Wait. guy to say like i'd like to i'm willing to go to this and that spot. would create two million yeah and space. that's possible and that's why like when we were talking earlier about I, I think there's likely to be a couple deals made in addition to whatever the signings are that have to happen i just it feels like billy always seems to be able to find a way to make something like that happen and i feel badly for alex galagoski because i i think he, he had a great year this year he had a long stretch where he was scratched. It seemed like unless somebody else couldn't play, then all of a sudden he was in the lineup every night and played some of his best hockey and was in the lineup every night right after the trade deadline when coincidentally we had added a defenseman, but you know, then wound up being the odd man out or one of the odd men out when it came to the playoffs. And I think he could still help somebody as a six or seven defenseman and could, and I think it's at a fair deal. But I just don't think it's a, a likely to be a, a great fit here where he'd be happy next season. Um, let's roll through some of these last questions here. We've got five minutes left in the show. Uh, Reinstein asks, is it normal for the captain of the team to not do an exit interview with the media? But the way that works is that Aaron Sickman, the Wilds PR guy, sends the three beat writers for, including Joe Smith, excuse me, um, asking who do we want to talk to on the last day. All of us talked to Felino and Spurgeon the night of the game. Um, I talked to Spurgeon the other day and asked him, hey, you, can we grab a coffee or lunch before you leave, go back for the summer? And he said yes. So it, from, from my perspective, I just didn't include Spurgeon. This was just not Spurgeon not talking to the media. We just didn't request him. 
because then the at the end of game six we got both Spurgeon and and um and uh and Felino. So this had nothing to do with Spurgeon at all dodging the media. Um, but uh, I will say a lot. I got a lot of Twitter questions, Anthony, about Spurgeon's postseason. It wasn't very good. Yeah, it was disappointing. I actually was talking with Wes and Ryan a little bit about it, and it it was weird. It he looked off his game really from the start in the series, and a, a guy that played with supreme confidence all season had one of his better years. I thought well, he ended up a plus thirty four or something like that during the regular season. Yeah. And then in the playoffs, it just felt like he was off, and it felt like he was off right from the start. It didn't. He didn't look like the same confident, assertive, carry the jump up in the play guy. And I don't know if he felt some pressure. I don't know if the added burden of the first two games with without John Klingberg being the number one power play guy, just adding that to his plate, if that affected it. I really don't know, but it was it was strange because I didn't see that coming. I had talked earlier about not seeing it went uh, from being plus 34 to being on the ice for 14 goals. Crazy. Yeah. And it, it, I didn't think, and, and that was a part of the penalty kill. I know we've talked a lot about faceoffs and everything, but he and Brodeen were right up there with the better penalty killing defensive tandems all year long. And they were victimized throughout this series. And, it was strange. I there was something that wasn't quite right. He he didn't look right, and I don't know what it was, but it wasn't his best hockey. Yeah, Aaron has a good question. How do players pay their fines? Is it taken from their salary? Do they have so many days, weeks after the offense? No, it is taken out of their last paycheck. It's called. It's basically called forfeiting forfeiting salary. So when the league fines a player or they lose money via suspension, it's taken right out of their paycheck uh, by human resources with the team and goes right to the league. Uh, Charlie Sherman asks, uh, wouldn't keeping Addison in his lower AAV and trading Goligoski make more sense? Um, I could see both being traded. Um, and then you have to, obviously, you're going to have to replace those blue liners. But I don't know. I, I just, I agree that giving Addison another chance makes most sense. Uh, but I don't see, um, I just don't see it happening. I, I just, I, I just didn't see him being traded. I just think he's sort of. Uh, you don't take a guy completely out of lineup, even before Klingberg, and just say that he's part of the future. I just don't buy it. Um, I, I think he's on the trade block. There's there's no doubt. Um, ben asks, seems like Duham is well-liked by our staff or players. He also seems like the most easily replaceable player on the roster. Chances his rights are traded. Um, you know, he, he, he was a Cy Young winner this year. Goals, but only what one assist. Yeah. Um, had the concussion issues earlier in the season. Um, but because of what we just said about Felino and how we don't know how long he's going to be with this organization beyond this year, I just think that trading Felino uh, Duhay makes very little sense. Yeah, I don't know that I'd agree with the replaceable player thing because the other the other part is remember Mason Shaw is a question mark, and Shaw and Dewar teamed up teamed up as a huge part of Minnesota's penalty kill. In Shaw's absence, that is one spot that would likely fall to Duhame, and that's a pretty valuable connection yeah. and Especially those when two your fourth guys line right wing might not play special teams <laughs> exactly yeah. and so you need your other two fourth liners have to be penalty kill guys mm -hmm. and duhame could certainly be that uh lance asks what kind of contract do you see nyquist and sunquist are looking for nyquist is going to look for too much more money i mean they basically chose johansson over nyquist nyquist is leaving and sunquist i just don't see them uh having i mean they basically didn't play him in the playoffs uh he's a healthy scratch so he's going to be moving on um Brian Hallerman asks if Parisi retires, uh, does that uh, that still doesn't affect the cap hit with the Wild? Does it? 
no, that's why they bought him out in case that he did retire prematurely, then it would absolutely kill them. Uh, this way they had a finite number, um, and, and, and exactly could spread it out. Pay. Yep, exactly. Um, Logan nation asks, is it normal for the head coach and the GM to be at the same press conference like that? It seems intentional so that the media wouldn't ask bill if Dean, um, would be fired, uh, cause Dean was sitting right there. Um, it's the way the wild have always done it, but it is super awkward and it's, it's weird because it's different questions. Um, you know, it's different questions that you would ask for both. We get Dean all the time. There's really no reason to get him again in that setting. Um, very few other teams I've ever seen does do it that way. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, but that is the way the wild have always done it. Not just, uh, under Bill Garrett. That is I've been since I've covered the team. Matty Ice says, has LaPanta heard anything more on the Bally's or at least, uh, the future there? Anything? Not a- no, not really. And uh, other than the fact that we are moving ahead, just as if nothing has changed at this point, we are launching actually a new studio at Bally sports North. I don't know if it happened tonight. But I think it did. I think, uh, yeah, maybe thought, last night. Yeah, I think last night it was. I was down there. Me, la- uh, oh, in fact, I know it was. I was down there last night. So I, I was. It. I know it happened last. The background night. Background is very. It. I like it. It's going to be good. But it. I. The short answer to the question is, we're going ahead as if nothing has changed, but nothing has been decided yet, and it's way beyond my knowledge level or my pay my pay grade there are people making decisions and i i know right now they're just waiting on a a ruling from a bankruptcy judge i think so it's we'll see uh jonathan oliver a couple more uh do you honestly feel garen was putting up a front at how as has to how disappointed the front office and ownership were um with the result um i could tell you for a fact he's extremely disappointed um you know i i talked to him the day after the loss i talked to him yesterday i talked to him that i talked to him today i've talked to him three of the four days since the series ended he's He's disappointed. Um, is Kaprizov downplaying a playoff injury? Uh, CF Kane wants to know. I don't think so. I think this really had to do with him just not being in rhythm. Um, um, you know, when you miss five weeks of hockey, it takes a while. And, and Kirill has always said that he starts off season slow, and I'm sure he felt like that was going on again. That, you know? Yeah. It was, I was a little surprised he didn't play more when he came back. And I know that they had talked about the, there were four games left in the season, I think, and they Played said we're going to have him play two. And but yet at the same time, talked about that. Well, it just needs time to get the the chemistry back and the flow back. And Kaprizov made mention of that in his exit that he felt like he just was off, just didn't have enough time on the ice, and that was a huge part of the series, no doubt. May eighth, uh, Tuttles is our next live show at seven p.m. Thanks for everybody for joining us at the Aquarius Home Services Studio in the LaPanta household. Uh, this is, podcast is always brought to you by Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and cooling, Twill in the Dyna Galleria, Bosch Law Firm, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, and Moe's Tavern. Thanks, Anthony. So much coming out, there's nothing going Like you're never gonna win All but the world